The Sisters Perspectives is a forum where individuals come to express their viewpoint, their stance, their angle on issues relative to topics of concern to the community globally. Each week, our co-host and featured guests will present a perspective through a unique lens. The Sisters Perspective gives the world a frame of reference, an ear, a voice on politics, public policy, advocacy, finance, economics, health. The Sisters Perspective is a roundtable on hot topics with dialogue on issues in the news. It's a way of looking at controversial subjects, approaches, and outlooks. So come check us out and give us your perspective. Hello, everyone. I'm Lara Lane White. And I'm Paula Ann Granston, and we are your hosts for The Sisters Perspective. So today, our emphasis is on God and his relationship with our environment. We are blessed to have the Reverend Dr. Gerald Durley, Reverend Deli, and Reverend Alan Jenkins as our guests today. So our objective for the conversation today um, is to create some awareness on a variety of trending topics relative to environmental justice and climate change. And we are seeking some ways to integrate religion into that dialogue. And also, we wanted to afford our guests an opportunity to share their latest strides in environmental justice and climate change. So I will direct that question to you, Reverend Jenkins, just to start us off. Okay, thank you so much. It's a real pleasure to be on here with you all. Thank you so much for the invite. And uh, so I'll share a little bit of, of, of who I am and, and what I've been up to over the years. I will put a little asterisk, a little footnote here that, uh, that I can't hold a torch to the Reverend Dr. Gerald Durley, uh, <laughs> who, who has been on the front lines. Uh, so I'm glad that, that I don't have to follow him with an introduction. Uh, but uh, I, uh, I'm a graduate of the Interdenominational Theological Center in 2004. I'm a minister in the Presbyterian Church USA. In 2007, I was the first person in the denomination, in the nation, to be ordained specifically into a ministry of creation care or environmental justice, environmental concerns. And so I was doing outreach in the 2000s with congregations, Presbyterian congregations in the Atlanta area, and helping them become uh, more ecologically conscious from a theological perspective, right. uh, and, uh, and then also with practical application from becoming more sustainable in our congregations, reducing energy use, right. uh, uh, creating gardens around the, around the church grounds, um, offering that food to local food banks, and uh, putting solar panels on our roofs, and also creating a line of uh, and a stream of advocacy for policies around climate change, clean energy, and more specifically around issues of water policy in the state of Georgia and trying to put uh, uh, faith communities' voice um, in the mix, um, particularly as it relates to the ongoing war, water war between Georgia, Alabama, and Florida. Right. And, uh, and so really focusing on water conservation, not building new dams, but, uh, but increasing our efficiency and use of water, conservation of water. Uh, so that, that's what I was uh, up to in the 2000s and early 2010s. Um, uh, and since then, though, I have been working as a full-time chaplain. I'm a hospice chaplain oh, okay. uh, these days with an organization and a company called Harbor Grace Hospice. 
and uh, we serve uh, underserved community in in Atlanta. And uh, but I continue to be involved with environmental issues, particularly through my congregation. I'm a parish associate at Oakhurst Presbyterian Church, which is the diverse, inclusive uh, congregation in Decatur, Georgia, the Oakhurst Presbyterian Church near the East Lake Marta Station. Okay. And, uh, and so we have uh, gardens and energy conservation initiatives and speak out on issues of climate justice. And, uh, and we're also a congregation that, that tries to take uh, racism head on. Uh, in our in our society. Okay, well that's amazing. Um, I really appreciate that introduction. You're definitely doing very important work. And you know, when I speak to environmentalists um, that I'm surrounded at at school, they really say you should try to meet everyone where they're at, and that every little every little change in um, daily life and every little change in behavior can really make a difference. And so to speak to Amen. people, you know, to believers who who be might believe something different from another environmentalist, to meet them where they're at and to meet them from their ideology can really help because you know, you're know you taking their beliefs and their the, the sacred way that they think into account. So that's very, very, very important work. And um, I've learned a little bit about the water crisis um, between those three states. So the fact that you're working on that is very impressive. Mm -hmm. So um, thank, you, thank you so much for that. And Reverend Deli, I also wanted to um, I also wanted to put this question towards you to give us an opportunity to learn more about the impact that you and your organization has made on environmental justice and climate change from a theological perspective. Okay, well, thank you so much for having me today. Um, I think I want to cover three areas where I seem to be having impact at this time. I'm a uh, UCC pastor, and I am developing a national environmental mission enterprise for our young adults, and I'm also uh, developing a, um, a radio show speaking to the spirit of resilience. But I think the impact that I'm making on environmental justice is that I'm helping the justice movement really create a theological perspective from spiritual terms because the spiritual meaning of justice is balance. So justice is much more than man-made laws. Justice is a spiritual principle with indigenous practices. There's no way for us to have emotional justice, mental justice, political justice, uh, without having a right relationship with the earth, without us being balanced in our interactions with the earth. And so in uh, my book, Breath of Life, I tell you how to do that first personally and then within your congregation and your community. I'm also opening up the national environmental conversation to include the voice of Mother Nature so that we can have male and female balance. Right now, women leaders are being silenced, just like Mother Earth is being silenced. And I discovered that as I was attempting to implement these land-based solutions, we find that land-based workers are marginalized even within the environmental movement. And so Mother Nature's voice has to be lifted up. Um, I also, uh, as a permaculturist, I was introduced to permaculture, which is a design science that teaches you how to uh, create a sustainable homestead. And I learned that while responding to Katrina. And I discovered that the uh, toxic, uh, environmental toxic repair that permaculture addresses, the food sovereignty, the water issues that permaculture addresses, all of these things are 
practices that our communities need to know and don't know. Right. And so I, I teach people how to connect their ecology with their theology. Uh, because also I find that if you're not spiritually rooted, you will really become uh, despaired and, uh, and you'll just drop off the vine. People are breathless. They are burnt out. And so you really need that spiritual infusion that the scripture teaches you. And so I show them directly, you know, in Genesis where regenerative farming is explained. And I explained to them from Proverbs 8 how nature is our template for a healthy, diverse community. Uh, I show them how all the examples of motherhood in the scriptures is a template for climate justice. And I eat because many of us are really focused on policy issues. I also lift up the universal declaration of nature because it is one policy document that is based on principles. It was composed by indigenous peoples in South America, and it's a document that's being used here in the United States to prevent fracking. Uh, right. So I think our communities need to be more informed about the tools that we have to um, to create a more environmentally just society. That's amazing. That's amazing, Reverend Deli. And um, it seems like you're really looking at climate change and the environment from like a more of a personal and intimate um, perspective. And I thought it was really interesting that you're kind of integrating gender equality and spirituality and you know, Mother Earth is a concept into like one thing to fight this, fight this battle. You know, some people don't even believe in climate change. Some people don't even believe that the earth is in trouble. So the fact that you're integrating all of these ideas that others don't really think about, I think that's really amazing. I think that's really amazing. And um, at any difficulty with my message of creation care, I have been knee deep in climate denier country and people respond to caring for the earth. I remind them about their grandparents. And when we make that kind of connection, it's a right. much easier walk. Right. Amen. That's amazing because it seems to be this distrust. Like if you are speaking to someone who doesn't believe in climate change at all or um, doesn't believe in rising temperatures, doesn't believe in hole in the ozone layer, any of that, if you're coming to them from a way that they can understand, like your ancestors and history and things like that, heritage, I think that, you know, I've never even thought of anything like that um, to speak to them. Just do it God's way. way. Just do it. God, put the land back the way God designed it. God designed right. all of our ecosystems to last for a thousand years and everything was interrelated. And so right. I show them how we have taken that apart. And if we want to be more comfortable, even without crises, if we just want to be more comfortable, spend less money, spend less time, just put it back God's way. Right. That's amazing. Amen. That's amazing. Um, so thank you so much for that, Reverend Deli and Reverend Jenkins. Um, I'm sorry, Dr. Burley, Reverend Jenkins did his introduction. Um, I wanted to give you an opportunity to just speak about the impact that you and your organization has made in the realm of environmental justice and climate change from a theological perspective. I don't know if I'm qualified to be among this distinguished panel that you have here today. <laughs> what do you mean? But, I'm um, I'm Gerald Durley, I pastor emeritus of Providence Missionary Baptist Church here in Atlanta after 25 years. Uh, Lanny Peters is a good buddy of mine for many, many years of Oakhurst. Uh, Lanny and I go way back where Dr. Jenkins is now. Sure. I, also, I also chair the Interface Power and Light Board, 
we're in 40 states, 22,000 houses of worship throughout America, Muslims, Christians, Jews, Shiites, and Buddhists. But I guess my perspective to this, I started with Dr. King in 1960 in the civil rights movement. And it was a constitutional right for all of us to have voting rights, housing rights, transportational rights, just basic civil rights, the right justice to the constitution that was written. And about nine years ago, after having been in a civil rights movement all these years, community organizations, by training, I'm a licensed psychologist, but I've been in the, I went to seminary when I was in my 40s to bring the psychological, the community organization, and put it on a moral and a spiritual basis. But about nine years, a lady by the name of Jane Fonda challenged me and introduced me to her husband, Ted Turner, and started talking about melting glaciers and melting glaciers and polar bears and bees that were being uh, lost, I could have cared less about the environment. I was concerned about justice and police brutality, teenage pregnancy and other pertinent issues in our community. But as I began to learn more and more about the environment and the negatively disproportionate impact that it has on particularly those in urban areas, African-Americans, and as well as those in rural areas, I began to realize that this is a civil and human rights issue predicated on moral positioning. And I was tired of white folks always talking about what uh, the inner city people were doing and we were not at the table. They were talking about the uh, impact that climate change would have. So I began to look at the asthmatic conditions. I began to look at the poor uh, etiological factors that impacted people in urban areas, poor education, limited access to health care, poor employment, and then you put them in a 100 degree temperature, that is inhumane and that is not just. When you begin to look at toxic waste dumps in our neighborhood, when you begin to look at asthmatic conditions, when you begin to look at other kinds of areas that are so important for those that I was called to serve. So I got deeply involved in the climate movement. Uh, Currently, I'm on the Riverkeepers board with Bobby Kennedy. I do a lot of training with... uh, Al Gore in our climate reality piece. And it's about how do you connect the dots? You cannot disconnect climate change or climate crisis, as we call it now, from from the factors that negatively disproportionately impact human life. I was called to uplift people. So that's basically what I do in my own kind of little small way around in different places and bring the awareness. I don't mind business people making money, people over profits. I don't mind scientists talking about the scientific efforts or politicians trying to maintain power. But all three of those entities must be on a moral foundation. We cannot put the well-being of animals, bees, plants uh, 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 above uh, or under the profit motive in our nation. So that's what I'm doing, challenging those all the way from the GMOs, the, the, the methane, the carbon dioxide, the fracking, the nuclear plants. All of those things are an integral part that we have an obligation to change. So that's why and what I do with these last few remaining days on the planet in my life. Well, amen. Amen to all of you. And, uh, you know, I'm very impressed with every all the work each of you are doing in, in environmental justice. We mentioned that word fracking Now, to our uh, our listeners who um, may not necessarily be aware and up to date on that term fracking. Uh, uh, Reverend Jenkins, 
Would you be able to explain or give a give you know give a definition of fracking? Uh, yeah, it is a it is a form of drilling and tapping into you know, geological deep you know within the earth geological sources of natural gas. And uh, perhaps uh, Reverend Dully could speak to this more. It sounds like she might have some more experience sure, with it. Sure, um, sure, Reverend Dully. Yeah. Uh, yes, uh, fracking is, a, like he said, it's a procedure where you drill into the bedrock of the earth and you infuse it with all kinds of poisons and salt. There's a, a mixture of things that you uh, explode into that surface to extract the natural gas that people use to cook with or that they use in their homes for heating. The problem is that you have destroyed, you know, all of your topsoil, you're down to the bedrock, which holds us all together, and you are uh, exploding it. So not only are you exploding the foundation of the earth that holds us together, you are injecting poisons into uh, all of the water sources. This type of uh, procedure for gaining uh, natural gas, uh, it uses up a tremendous amount of water. And this water uh, is not cleansed. It's not allowed to go through its natural cleansing process. And so you have a lot of poisons that now have destroyed your drinking water in your rivers and, of course, you know, as it goes out to the ocean. And so, again, fracking is one of the reasons uh, we had problems in West Virginia. People had, uh, you know, I don't know if you remember from the news when they turned on their water and fire came out of the, uh, the faucet, uh, that was due to fracking. Uh, wow. Fracking causes a lot of the poisonous water supplies that indigenous peoples have to drink, as well as people in uh, urban communities, because their pipes are, you know, older and uh, they they don't stand up to, to the corrosion as well. If I can let me let me let me, no. let me just go beyond that and add oh, to go, go ahead. Think two things that are extremely detrimental because a lot of the fracking that was done in Kansas and Missouri. This is very important, and they're right as far as going down, putting water, going to through the shell, as we call it. What that has done for the infrastructure is it's caused from uh, earthquakes all throughout the Midwest, whereas before yes. there were 30 to 40, there are 245 earthquakes in Missouri and Kansas and uh, throughout because of fracking. But what's oh, equally as devastating is because when you go into the ground to frack, there's something more dangerous than CO2, and that's methane gas. The methane that comes up that you can't see or smell is more deadly in our community than the CO2. So methane comes up with this natural gas. So when you get earthquakes and methane, those are two deadly uh, kinds of extractions because of fracking uh, to the earth. Mm -hmm. and, and we should also say that, you know, it's a tremendously a water-intensive uh, mining process we, if, to create and to extract energy. We should also note that closer to home here for us in Georgia and, and uh, power plants across the country, you know, our coal burning power plants and our nuclear plants use a tremendous amount of water. And water is becoming, of course, you know, you know uh, water is, is the next cause of war in this, on this planet uh, next to oil. And it will become increasingly so. We cannot afford to have energy sources that are dependent upon 
using using tremendous amounts of water from the Chattahoochee River and from the Savannah River uh, that are um, polluting that water and taking that water and sending it out into the atmosphere. Uh, we we that is reckless, and we cannot continue creating and depending upon such such sources for the creation of en energy. I love what you're saying, Alan, um, and um, and thank you, I'll thank each each one of you for the definition of fracking, um, which brings me to my next question. Um, what would you? What would each of you? We've talked about fracking. I like what you said, Alan, about the about water. But um, would you say that those two issues are are two of the most pressing uh, issues relative to environmental uh, change? You know, environmental justice and cl or climate change. Or would you say it's something else? What 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 would each, each of you say to that? Well, I'd say quickly that if if we don't protect the watershed, if we don't protect our water, we have nothing. At the end of the day, we need water and we need to protect it. And we need to protect the forests that help preserve and clean that water. If we pave over kingdom come as we have done, if we destroy the, the, the canopy, the trees, uh, here, as we've done here in the, around the Atlanta area, as we continue to depend on cars, even if they are electric cars, if we're continuing to pave over and create more interstates and what now wider interstates, we we are compromising the Chattahoochee River, which is our lifeblood, our lifeline. If we do not protect the Chattahoochee River, we do not exist. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. Reverend Daley, Dr. Durley. Well, I, I, I go ahead, Daley. Go ahead. Okay. Um, I think I'm always coming from a, a very uh, earth-based, nature-based perspective because I think it's really important to bring the considerations of our environment to the center stage. And particularly as it relates to people of color, I think the issue of land sovereignty is critical. Uh, okay. Because we don't control, we no longer control land. We've had lots of land stolen. We don't own land in the cities. And because we do not own this land, we don't control what happens to it. Uh, we're not able to affect our asthma. We could actually impact our asthma if we landscaped our cities and our neighborhoods the way uh, that it's necessary to have Amen. clean air. There are a lot of land-based solutions that we could control if we had sovereignty. And so um, that, that issue of sovereignty in land, in knowledge, and in money, even within the environmental movement, uh, sometimes we have issues because we do not control the, the narrative. We do not control where the money goes for the programs. Uh, so sometimes our core issues never get addressed. We're dragged into movements to help elite move, transfer their wealth from one industry to controlling another industry. Mm -hmm. And so I'm thinking this issue of sovereignty of the land gives us the wealth that we need for our uh, emotional health, for our physical health in terms of controlling how our food is grown, controlling how our food is distributed, and controlling the conservation on the places where we live, where we work, and where we pray. So I'm, I'm thinking that sovereignty of land uh, directly impacts everything that we're talking about. And if we can bring that into the uh, forefront, then we don't always have to be chasing behind someone else's agenda. Amen. 
Awesome. Uh, Dr. Durley, your word. Well, I think as I've looked at this over the years, any major movement where you're trying to find a level of justice, equality, and parity, it comes down to something that I'm seeing that's emerging now as we talk about business, as we talk about sovereignty of land, as we talk about uh, legislation in terms of regulation. The thing that frightens me most, I think you asked initially, Dr. White, was it the fracking, was it the nuclear, whatever it was. The, the one thing that frightens me most that I'm looking at and trying to, to pull together are the consumers. We as consumers, we have been accustomed, whether regardless of the economic level, of a certain lifestyle. Mm -hmm. How do we begin to connect the dots when it comes to our level of consumerism? Because the more we want to provide for what we think is our maximum comfort, business will supply it. Politicians mm -hmm. will make sure that we get it. So therefore, we've got to come back to a point of what does it mean to get in balance with what God created in terms of nature, Absolutely. in terms of water, in terms of all these things. But the frightening thing is that we have become so consumer comfort oriented that we are pushing it as well. So it's got to be as, as well as these other uh, economic factors and political factors. So we've got to say, wait a minute, we've got to cut back on this so that we can bring it all back into balance as it was initially created to be. I see us as a major part of this. Now, how you change that is the same way where you try to change racism. Once it becomes endemic, it depends on the people to say, we're going to stop this. And if we're to uh, do the mitigation in the in the uh, whole environmental effort and things of bringing it, uh, purpose of bringing it back together, we as human beings who's destroying it must bring it back to help reestablish it by our behavior, our actions, and our patterns of survival. Right, right. Well, that that's really interesting to, you know, talk about, because I see this common debate on social media between there are people who are like, stop using plastic straws and turn off your lights. And there are pe some environmentalists who respond to that. And they're like, the responsibility is not in the hands of of citizens and of consumers because we live in a capitalist society and as long as we are thriving off of the capitalist society, um, we, then we're not gonna have any ethical consumption of anything, resources, and it's up to corporations and corporations only, the vehicles of, this, of you know our capitalistic economy, it's only up to them to stop climate change. And then I see a counter argument that's like, no, but there's 330 million of us in this country and if every single one of us did make a small change, it would turn into a big change. So I feel like that's very interesting that you, that you, um, you know, brought up consumerism because we are the consumers and corporations are making money off of us. So our actions are like over 50% of our equation. So I think that's really I interesting. Yeah, I definitely agree that we need to accept the fact that we've become addicts. And like any other addict, you must be held accountable for your personal actions. And we need to develop a sustainable aesthetic. You know, that's a part of that consumerism. Uh, we need to think that things that are natural are beautiful and, like Julie uh, was saying, bring ourselves into balance. I think that personal accountability is critical because that's one piece that's missing. I wanted to see if you've ever met people who say that God, like conversations around theology and religion, they, that they don't belong in conversations about environmentalism and climate change. Oh, and that's that. Yeah. Right. That's all of the time in terms of the clergy being involved in the uh, factors around climate change that it's all in God's hands and not 
in in the hands of human beings? Is that is that your question? Yes, yes, sir. People who say that it oh. undermines the conversation. Oh, right. we're in those types all the time when we're in in meetings with evangelicals and other people. That is, but again, I look at the factor. I, I've always learned now when we come to human dimensions. I in this society, I follow the dollar. And what happens when I'm with people, very large evangelical groups, those that are uh, calling themselves um, Christian-based or faith-based, and you look at in their congregations and many of those that uh, individuals who are helping to um, sponsor their congregations, whether it's Duke Energy Executive, Georgia Power Executive, who are putting money in their congregations all throughout, whether it's California uh, Commonwealth, these are major donors to their congregations, and it's interesting how they can change their perspective of who's, con who's responsible for climate crisis right now. And so I find that they, when they're talking that way, that they're really looking at the economics of what is going on in their congregation. And I hate to be that crass, but that is what I found. So they, no one can deny 150-degree temperature. No one can deny the food that's being uh, GMO'd right now, no one can deny that, and particularly if you've got any kind of calling from God. But you can when you look at who is, who is sponsoring many of your programs at your congregation. So you have that ambivalent feeling as to why they do it. So I, once I understand mm -hmm. why they do it, and I've been in meetings with 30 and 40 of some of the farthest right-wing people that you can understand from a Christian perspective, and they, they, they literally admit that. Now, it's going to become much more. Well, they do it. They even justify it with the president's behavior because of the, that kind of economic mm -hmm. incentive behind them. So I, right. I understand why they do it. And once I understand why somebody does it, does something, then I can sit down and have a, a meaningful conversation with them. Right. Right. OK. Um, I appreciate um, that. I, if I could also add uh, as well, I. I think that um, you know one of the one of the conclusions that I'm coming to uh, recently, and I really put this out as a challenge. I mean, maybe I don't fully believe it, but uh, but I, I really believe you know, the Christian Church as it exists, and I and as a Caucasian guy, you know, and I, I speak and critique uh, uh, specifically the Eurocentric Church, uh, and um, is that is that I'm not sure that Christianity, the Christian church as it exists today, has what it takes, has a spirituality to live sustainably with the earth, with God's creation. You know, uh, one, of, one of my colleagues was saying on the, on the radio today, our God is an awesome God. We've all heard that song. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above. Right. I, I didn't know you could sing. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. But you know, but that God is an awesome God. It reigns from heaven above. It's not connected with the earth, with the with the with the plants, with the animals, no. with the soil, with the with the with the forest that give us life. And so we have right. got our heads so stuck in the clouds um, that we are con not connected to the glory of God, the miracles of God that are right before us that we are interdependent dependent upon. And so right. it's, a, it's a big challenge to the whole to the whole church generally. And I think all churches, black, white, Latino, are all infected by this dualism of the Eurocentric theology uh, that separates the uh, our spiritual world from the embodiedness of God's creation. Right. I think that's an important term when you talk about uh, the Eurocentric understanding of religion, uh, because I've been, you know, going up and down the Eastern seaboard, really working with the church outside of the four walls. 
I've been ministering to those young adults who feel that calling from the land. They feel that they don't know what they want to call it, but they know that there's something yeah. greater than them that is yeah, drawing them the back. Church doesn't have the language. Right. right. But something within their soul is calling them back to the land. They are leaving a million dollar jobs. They are leaving prestigious positions and they are learning how to care for the land and in the process, learning how to care for one another. And so that's um, another aspect of church. And that's the church that I'm working with to see if we can bring them into relationship with the church within the four walls. I think the, uh, a union of those two forces would be very powerful. So I'm not among the people who really are um, dis who are refusing to acknowledge the presence of God in the climate change. I'm among those who say, well, the church has messed it up. They know there's some presence that's higher that is uh, is more uh, beneficial, but they are really arguing with the uh, the institution itself. And so somehow we right. bring those two forces together. Amen. Amen. Right. Well, thank you guys so much for that. Thank you. Because I meet so many people who, you know, they're like, when you bring God into these conversations, you're alienating people, you're alienating atheists and agnostics. And if God does not belong in this conversation and all of your perspectives, like, you know, everything back to from where um, Dr. Jurley said, like, there's an economic incentive and, and some people believe that it's all one and the same. And I feel like that conversation is important. And I don't think, I think it's the way that you present the idea. If you present it in um, a crass, like gauche way, sure, it might alienate people. But if you just present it in a way like you guys have spoken about it, um, I don't think that that will make people completely turn away from environmentalism and just completely get turned off from it and not want to talk about it. L so thank me, you so much. Let me add right? something. That, let me say something that I say to many preachers those who are silver-tongued orators who talk about, uh, preach from the Bible. It's one of the things yeah. that I learned. It's so easy when we preach to go to the second book of the Bible, Exodus, and talk about the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, bear false witness. And we love preaching from the second book of the Bible, the Ten Commandments. But how can you get to the Ten Commandments and preach from the second book of the Bible when you disregard the first commandment in Genesis 2.15, where it says, take care of my earth, be yes. stewards of my earth. Right. So yeah. if you disobey the first commandment, how can you go to the second 10? When I All played right. baseball, when I played baseball, if I missed first base and went to second base, I was out. And we're <laughs> out now. And we're suffering the consequences of floods yes. and burning water. Because we've missed the first commandment. Dominion yes. does not mean you own it. Dominion means God simply loaned it to you to take care of. So if you're not taking yeah. care of the first commandment and you run the second base, you're out. And right now we're <laughs> out. So we've got to go back and, right? and, and go back and go to the first base, which says, I, I put these under your care to take care of. So how can all these preachers get up and say they're preaching about the Ten, the ten Commandments and they've already disobeyed the first commandment. So we've got to get the those in the pulpits and in the mosque and in the synagogues to go back to the yes. first commandment that God gave us, take care of my earth. Amen. And we my, my, right. my, 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 my. Now, if I was Reach. in church Reach. and this was Sunday, Dr. Right. 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 I would have to say keep going the church. Right. Oh, yeah. The they, they, have to, they have to come start fanning me and all of that. Yeah, that, that's that's powerful. And and, and, when, and uh, go ahead. 
No, I was going to say, and if you start running around the church, run to the first commandment first. <laughs> hey, Reverend Jenkins, you said something earlier that I felt um, was very powerful. You said you talked about, um, I guess, I think uh, Reverend Daley was was basically uh, speaking about the work that she's doing with those persons um, beyond the church walls. And you, I think, I believe you made the statement that the church does not have the language, right? Um, and it could could you expound on that? Because I really, I, I, I really, you know, one of the things that 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 I've been that I've been struggling with with this project is trying to reach those persons from a theological perspective who may not necessarily be aware that who are in the church, but may not be aware of of these types. So when you say that the church is, that lacks the language, uh, ex- expound on that a little bit, and then you know, and anybody else can can answer that question also. Right, right. Well, I, I, I love what Reverend Durley was talking about with, uh, with the first commandment. But I also think about, also think about salvation and, and our vision of salvation. You know, we all uh, know that in the Christian world, we talk about uh, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Uh, the, the Greek reads, for God so loved the cosmos, the whole created order. Um, but we have really turned that into uh, uh, just an anthropocentric, a human-centered project, salvation as a human-centered project at the expense of all other things that God created to sustain our lives. And, yeah. um, and, 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 and salvation becomes this kind of heavenly, heavenly uh, hereafter. You know, when I, as a hospice chaplain, you know, I get that a lot. You know, we talk about heaven a lot here in, in hospice. Uh, but, but, but we need to uh, understand theologically a deeper, more uh, uh, broad and uh, in, in, in land-based uh, understanding of salvation, uh, that salvation is, is in God's creation uh, in the blessedness uh, of that. It's not some kind of uh, heavenly afterlife, right? It's, it's, it's here and now. The blessings are, are here and now to be um, related with as subjects. Yeah, I was going to say too that the that the church doesn't have the language that Native American and First Nations people had, uh, the and the understanding and the worldview. So we'll take the the Chattahoochee River here, which Atlanta is dependent upon. Uh, the the Creek Indians understood the river as the Tiaha. In Creek means the river of life. You know that which gives it. You know it had spiritual. It had spiritual import. It had spiritual significance. Uh, they and they they had uh, cleansing rituals in in the river, and they protected the river, the river that gave them fish and life and water and joy. And it was something that they were in relationship with, in conversation with, that they listened to. You know, I mean, if you take uh, uh, some pastors down to listen to the river. You know, some you know other Christians would say, "Oh, those folks are nuts." <laughs> you know, you know. But no, we have to be in relationship with these living beings, uh, and and the mm-hmm. church just doesn't have that have that language yet. We're getting there. We're mm-hmm. getting there, but mm-hmm. but but slowly. Mm-hmm. Be in relationship. In the the issue of language. Um, I think some of that language is actually within our scriptures. But because uh, in the fourth century, uh, Constantine, you know, declared war on the divine feminine 
and wrote things out, declared war on uh, women's spiritual leaders. So I think that's where we begin to have that schism. Uh, In Proverbs 8, it's very clear that uh, Lady Wisdom, the Holy Spirit, uh, Hokmah, whatever word you want to use to describe her, she is a sentient being, and she is delighting with God. She's delighting with humankind. She is that flow that that connects the invisible and the visible words, and she is very much a presence within us. And it's because in uh, in the way Christianity has evolved, it's become disembodied, and that's been our problem. And I think that's why uh, I've had a lot of success with land-based spirituality. We're in a time when language is changing. It's very dynamic. Uh, we are losing our, the medieval hold that, uh, you know, our religious language has had on us. And I think it's okay to spread out into, you know, cosmic consciousness and Christ consciousness in uh, using different vernacular than what we're accustomed to. I think we don't want to uh, confuse the fact that maybe some of the people in the pews uh, are stuck with a certain language, but the people outside of the pews are not. And I think the point is to uh, make sure that people make that land-based connection, that they bring the divine feminine back into their lives, that they embrace balance and look for ways to sustain themselves. Human beings were created as the mirror image of creation. You know, we breathe into the tree and the tree breathes into us. Our uh, our fingerprints look just like the rings on a on a tree. There are so many ways that uh, our blood vessels resemble rivers, and so there are so many ways that we embody the creation. And if we can uh, allow ourselves to speak that divine feminine language, I think it will bring us back to that calm space. Um, I remember a, a preacher once that uh, made the connection between the planet. And a big mama, okay, you know, big mama, you know, has a big house and everybody can be in it, but you don't play around and big mama's going to sit you down when you get out of line. Okay, that's what's happening on the planet right now. Big mama is is wearing us out. (laughs) And I think we need to make sure that we begin to embrace that kind of language, that kind of personal, sensuous, feeling-based language so that people understand that connection to creation, and we just get back into line, just just get back into line. The soil scientists have told us if we only change 1% of the landscape, the climate will reverse itself, okay? So there is that grace. Yes, only 1%. It's less than a tithe, okay? So if churches tithe their land back to God's original plan and we tithe ourselves back to doing things God's way, just 10%, we will see a change. Well, that's amazing. That's amazing. I really thank you guys um, for all those perspectives. And that's true. You know, Mother Nature. I have my mom always says, "Earth will not let us kill her. We will die first before Mother Earth before Mother Absolutely. Earth goes." And my mom always says that. And I'm like, you know what? If I had to, if we all just had to sacrifice and just pay the price of the things that we've done, I mean, I don't know. But um, thank you guys all so much for that words of wisdom. Just to close out. And to end this dialogue, I just wanted you guys to give um, it's a final blip and final words of wisdom that you would want to say with our listeners and say with the people, um, you know, listening to our podcast today. So I'll start with Reverend Jenkins. 
Okay. Um, well, I'm, I'm so thankful for these voices and a return to the uh, a reclaiming of the divine feminine and a land-based theology and spirituality. That is where we need to move to. Uh, uh, that is, that's beautiful and powerful, and it draws us through beauty and through love and not through fear and anxiety. Um, but I do want to inject a little bit of fear and anxiety. Just to balance out a little bit. Um, we, we, you know, I've been studying climate change since, uh, since 1996 in my environmental studies course at uh, college in South Carolina and a great professor that I had, Dr. Inman. And I've been, I've been focusing on it, uh, every year since. And, okay. and, uh, we uh, the, the tipping point of, of climate chaos was expected, you know, 10 and 15 years ago. The tipping point was expected to be, oh, gosh, you know, closer towards 2100, not 2019. We have reached a tipping point. We are in such dangerous times. Just talk to those loved ones who lost their family members in the heat wave last week in Japan or last month in France. Talk to the people in Mozambique who faced two cyclones back to back earlier this year. Thousands right. died, millions moved. You know, we are, and the earth raised um, with the green melting of the Greenland ice sheet in July, uh, five, uh, five tenths of a millimeter in just one month. We are behind the eight ball. We are behind the eight ball. We are in, we are, to use a non-theological term, we are in deep doo-doo, and the fit is finished. And, and uh, so we have got, with calm, committed discipline and love, we've got to move forward quickly. Right. Right. Well, thank you so much. And um, to strike fear in the hearts of people, I completely support that. And it needs to be done. So don't feel bad. Um, okay. Dr. Durley, can we have you next just for some final words of wisdom? Be ye not weary in well-doing, for you will reap in due season if you faint not. Keep thinking positive. Don't give up. Don't bend. Don't bow down. Don't break. We're on the winning team. We might face moments when we're fulfilled with doubt, but God did not give us the power of doubt nor fear with the power of yeah. a sound mind and of discipline. Therefore, the, when two or three are gathered together with the right purpose and the right attitude, we will win. That's yeah. what I've got to say around climate change, global warming, that we're on the winning team. Amen. Thank you so much for those encouraging words of strength. Thank you so much. And um, Reverend Gully, can you just yeah, close I, this out? I would like to share um, something from... Uh, a manifesto for food sovereign churches that I wrote. It said, though I plant and raise beds Deep. in open ground, if I don't plant the Holy Spirit in people's hearts, it profits me nothing. I am spreading raw manure on concrete. If I raise the most abundant food systems, regenerative in design, locally owned, democratically controlled with water sovereignty, if I harvest the greatest yield using minimal effort, if I clock the greatest number of volunteer hours, if the participants don't learn the mysteries of the earth, I have done nothing. If I start gardens in all 50 states for free so that I may boast, while participants 
Do not love and become one with the master gardener of all souls. I produce nothing. Love is the answer. That's what I have to say. Amen. That's yeah. amazing. What a wonderful close out to this conversation. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. You guys are all an inspiration. You're also passionate and intelligent and you're very strong and firm in your beliefs. And that's what you need. And you guys all have your feet planted firmly on the ground and we cannot fight the fight without people like you guys. Absolutely. Absolutely. Reverend Durley, Reverend Dele, and Reverend Jenkins have each spoken the word in terms of this relationship between God and the environment that he has created. Thank you, America, for listening. Thank you all for listening. A special thanks to Kisa Public Radio. And as we leave you, please remember those famous words from the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, that whatever affects one directly affects us all indirectly. Godspeed, everyone. The Sisters Perspective is a forum where individuals come to express their viewpoint, their stance, their angle on issues relative to topics of concern to the community globally. Each week, our co-host and featured guests will present a perspective through a unique lens. The Sisters Perspective gives the world a frame of reference, an ear, a voice on politics, public policy, advocacy, finance, economics, health. The Sisters Perspective is a roundtable on hot topics with dialogue on issues in the news. It's a way of looking at controversial subjects, approaches, and outlooks. So come check us out and give us your perspective.